Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we open your word and begin this season of Advent, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds. Give us eyes to see Jesus, ears to hear the greatness of his Advent, his first in which he came and his second which is yet to come. Father, would you build us up in this most holy faith? Would you encourage our hearts? Would you give us the hope that is to come? We do pray that you would also be merciful and gracious to us as we still do live in a fallen world full of suffering. And Lord, we do pray for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we start this Advent season, Pastor Jacob and I are doing something a little bit different. Um, We are taking hymns that are sung during the Advent season uh, and looking at the text that inspired those. And so this message this morning is uh, the title of a Charles Wesley hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Uh, He looked at Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 25 as inspiration, but he also looked at the minor prophet Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7, and I'll make a comment about that a little bit later. Time. It's the reality in which we live. Wasn't always that way. God was in eternity past. No concept of time, and yet there it is. It all started in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And on that first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the darkness, uh, the light he called day, and the darkness he called night. And the first measurement, there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Well, ever since then, we have kept track of time in various forms and fashions. The early Egyptians used sundials, the casting of the shadow, And they would look at the shadow on it and get an estimate of about what time it was. They would talk in terms of what hour of the day. The 17th century was the first clock. And with that came the measurements of seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years, decades, centuries and millenniums. We measure everything by time. Probably more so than what we should. One of the side effects of having time is waiting. Waiting. What do you conjure in your minds when you hear that term waiting? Is it something that is good? Something that brings forth patience? Or impatience? It is something that all of us in humanity shares, this idea of time. But time brings forth waiting. Waiting for someone, waiting for something, or for some time to pass before we meet up with something. Sometimes we want to be like the psalmist and say, How long, O Lord? How long? We might even say that at a signal light. How long? Or when the car in front of us, the light has obviously gone from red to green. We're ready to go. They're not. How long? But waiting is not 
just impatience. It can bring anxiety. It can bring this idea of being just nonchalant about time altogether. Just wasting hours away doing nothing. But there is something to learn from Scripture here. This title of this hymn, Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Have you ever expected something? Have you ever longed for something? Have, have you ever looked at anticipation for something? This Advent season, this Christmas season, usually brings those kind of thoughts along with it. I mean, as parents, we that have children, mine are grown now, but as parents, we have children. We look at Thanksgiving and all the hustle and bustle that we have there, and then we've got our list of to-dos. Before we get to Christmas, we have Christmas shopping, we have grocery shopping, we have parties to attend, we have work events, we have all these different things. In a blink of an eye, we go from Thanksgiving to Christmas Eve. For children and kids, it's not that way. Their, their idea of waiting and expectation is like molasses in winter. It, it drips very, very slowly. And they don't have the patience for it. It's like C.S. Lewis, what he said in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, one of his Chronicles of Narnia story where Tumnus is meeting with Lucy and they're having tea. And Tumnus is talking about this curse that is over Narnia. Always winter and never Christmas. That's what it's like for kids. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's like it's never going to get here. But the Bible teaches us this idea of longing, of anticipation, and of expectation in a person, in the Messiah. That clock started ticking in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From that point on, there's this idea of progressive revelation. The pages of Scripture keep adding to this idea of the coming Messiah, of Christ, from Genesis to Revelation, Scripture is all about Jesus. It's all about His coming, His redemption of sinners. And so we get this idea of progressive revelation. And as it moves forward, you get more and more information of what this Messiah is to come. Although those in the Old Testament, the New Testament quotes, didn't quite have it all figured out. They knew the Messiah was coming, but as they searched the Scriptures, they couldn't really get down to the exact day that this one was to come. Charles Wesley, when he wrote this particular hymn in 1744, there was a lot of things that were going on in England. He was troubled by what was happening in, with the state of orphans in England. Class division troubles within Parliament, etc. And he meditated upon Scripture. And there's two passages that jumped out at him. The passage we have before us from Luke, but also from Haggai 2. 
particularly verse 7. But in those first nine verses of Haggai, he's a minor prophet. He's writing to the children of Israel. They had been released to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah had gone to build the wall. Zerubbabel is the governor of Israel. And so with this, they began putting it together, but they lost heart. They kind of lost hope. The things in life around them took away this longing, this desire, because what they were building was not comparable to what once stood. The glorious temple of Solomon. And so Haggai is trying to encourage them, give them instruction from the Lord to rebuild the temple. And Haggai in this even understands that it's not going to be like it once was in Solomon's day. But Haggai says, it's going to be even better. Better than Solomon's temple. And the people you can just see, how can these little stones, these little bricks that we're throwing together to make this temple ever compare? But Haggai was talking about Jesus. He was talking about the glory of God coming back to His temple. Jesus Himself during His ministry said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. That promise of the Messiah to come gave hope. And so Wesley wanted to capture that in this hymn. Come, thou long expected Jesus. I found it interesting as I was reading about Wesley this week in this particular hymn. Did you know that he only wrote two verses? The first and the last. The first and the last. He had broken it up into four stanzas. Two in the first verse and two in the second. And the first, standout, first two stanzas in verse one was all about the advent. And then stanza three, which is the first part of the final verse, is about the king's birth and the kingdom. And then it talks about his rule and reign and then ends with the final stanza, Christ's second advent, at least the idea of that. But in 1978, Mark E. Hunt wrote two additional verses. And those are the two that we have now in the Trinity Hymnal that was printed in 1990. So there's your little bit of trivia. The song we sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, is written by Wesley and Hunt. But both have the longing, the desire, the expectation of Jesus. These are things that we want to have in our own lives as we look forward to the second coming of Jesus. We should look at it with expectation, with anticipation, desire, waiting, hope. I don't know if you remember the commercial from years and years and years ago, the ketchup commercial that used Carly Simon's lyric, Anticipation. You see in the commercial the, the ketchup that's upside down and it's not coming out. And you hear Carly Simon's anticipation is making me wait. Looking for that delicious tomato sauce to go on maybe a hot dog, I don't know. Anticipation, we should long that way. 
you know, the ketchup bottle is one thing and waiting to put it on food. But we have the scriptures that talk about Jesus. Should that not pique our interest into having anticipation? You know, the Bible in Revelation ends with, come Lord Jesus. We should be looking forward to that hope. So we have Wesley's hymn here, and it is based on Haggai 2 verse 7, but it's also based on this passage out of Luke. We have always had this idea of longing. Herman Bovink says this, God did not let the human race start its history without instilling in its heart the hope that someday the offspring of the woman would achieve victory over the serpent. And from that point on, passage after passage after passage begins to fill in this progressive revelation. Even with Eve having conceived the first child, thought that Cain was the one. This is the one. Lamech, when he had Noah, thought Noah was the one. And on and on it goes. Even those that are promised a seed, like Abraham, who had to wait 25 years for the birth of Isaac. That longing, that anticipation of the promised seed. And so we have this idea of longing. Well, the setting of this particular passage, you know it. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph had made their way back because that's where they were from. They had to go there for the census that was being done. But both Mary and Joseph had been revealed, Joseph through Gabriel, Mary through a dream as well, or excuse me, Joseph through the dream, Mary through Gabriel. Both were told that they would have a son. And the name of that son would be Jesus. God saves. Same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. And so, Jesus was to come. I want to look back one verse as we get into this text. Because now that we have the setting, it begins to unfold this revelatory, progressive revelation. This passage is full of words and pictures of time. It says, At the end of eight days, when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. This becomes extremely important to this whole passage because circumcision was an identification. Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures. Six times in this passage, it will talk about according to the word of the law, according to the word of the Lord, over and over. Everything is coming about just as God has laid it out into the scriptures. But Jesus had to be identified with his people. And circumcision would do that. Philip Ryken says, with one sharp cut of the blade, his fork skin was cut away from his body. This was the first shedding of his blood in anticipation of the cross. 
Circumcision goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. It was the sign and seal of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And with the covenant, there became obligations. God on His part, what He promised to do and what was expected by those who received His covenant promises on their part. So with this sign and seal of the covenant, Abraham was promised that he would have a, have a son. He was promised a land. He was promised to be a father of nations. And even in 17, out from Sarah would come kings. Chapter 17, verse 16. And so we see this obligation. God says, this is what I will do. What you need to do is circumcise your children. Bring them up in the promises that I have given you. This is one of the reasons we baptize infants here. Not the only reason, but one of the reasons. Because it is a sign that includes them into this covenant community. They are now identified with this body. And then we look to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord and teach them the Scriptures, trusting, and here it is again, with anticipation with expectation, with longing that they will come to Christ Jesus. That they will never know a day that they did not believe and trust in Him. And so this circumcision becomes extremely important. Jesus is fulfilling everything according to God's Word. And so from Bethlehem and a circumcision on the eighth day, a journey to Jerusalem... But can you imagine? I can't. Maybe women can that have had children. Okay, this is a little bit later. The time of purification was 40 days for a woman that had had a son. So within a month, she is having to travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It was necessary. It was according to the law. I can't imagine giving birth and then having to travel like that, walking or on a donkey, however that transportation came. had to be uncomfortable, but they were doing what was necessary to be done, doing, doing what was according to the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb first shall be called holy to the Lord. And so they had to offer a sacrifice. And the sacrifice looks back at Leviticus chapter 12. They were to sacrifice a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and then either a turtle dove or a pigeon for a sin offering. But if you were poor, you could just do two pigeons or two turtle doves. And obviously, both Mary and Joseph are poor, and so they took this offering as prescribed in Leviticus chapter 12. Now, something that the offering looked at or presumed, it presumed that the child is a sinner. But Jesus is not a sinner. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, as we have just said in the Apostles' Creed. So, it was assumed that the guilt of the child was taken by Mary herself, inherited but we know that Jesus was not a sinner. So why is this happening? 
Again, identification. Jesus had come to take our sin. It was representative of that. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So that was one reason for this whole presentation and this offering. But the second reason was to consecrate Him before the Lord. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. Can you hear Wesley's words here? Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. We need our sins removed, forgiven. Well, as they're there in the temple, there's a man named Sibion. He is both a righteous and devout man. There's not a lot that we know about him. We know he lives in Jerusalem. We know his name is Simeon. He's righteous, he's devout, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Alistair Begg talked about Simeon this way. He could imagine Simeon being in the temple and someone coming up and saying, Hey, Mr. Simeon, how are you today? He said, I'm doing well. What are you doing? I'm waiting. Well, Mr. Simeon, isn't waiting what you were doing yesterday? He says, yes, it is. And the day before, and the day before, and the day before. Well, what are you waiting for, Mr. Simeon? I am waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, what is that? And Simeon might have said, well, according to Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort, O Israel. Consolation, comfort, same word. It's a person that was going to bring comfort, that would bring salvation, that would turn all things right. Well, Mr. Simeon, will will you know it when you see it? Oh, yes. I'll know it. Because the Lord has told me I would know it. And upon seeing that, I'm going to be ready to be with the Lord. And so in this passage, we see Simeon at the temple. We know a little bit about him, but we know that he is filled with the Spirit because it was revealed to him that he would see the consolation of the Lord. And so when Mary and Joseph come into the temple, you could just see Simeon's eyes light up. For days, maybe weeks, months, years, who knows how long he was looking. Maybe he was then there every single day and he would go up to the little infants and maybe pull back the blanket and say, nope, not that one. But when he saw Mary and Joseph and Jesus, his eyes lit up. Full of the Spirit, he came before them. You can almost hear Wesley's hymn again in the words of Simeon. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. You could understand him singing that, but Simeon then goes into his own song. Luke has four songs that are written in it. You know the song of Zechariah, the Magnificat from Mary, the third being the angels singing to the shepherds, and then this one here. 
Simeon takes the child Jesus into his arms and he blesses God. And he sings forth, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. In Latin, this is called a nanuk dimitis. Permission to depart. Every believer that has seen Jesus through the eyes of faith is like Simeon and ready to depart. Are you ready to depart? Do you have a longing, an expectation for Jesus to see Him face to face, to see your salvation in Him as Simeon does here? This was prepared by God in the presence of all peoples. That is the beauty of this Advent. No longer is it just about Israel. Although even in the Old Testament it was never completely about Israel. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. And finally God is bringing that about here through Jesus. Jesus is now for all people. He is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. Israel was now able to, through Jesus, the true Israel, to fulfill the very purpose of God and that is to be a witness revealing who God is and how we may know Him through Jesus. This is for all people. Not all without exception, but all without distinction. For every nation, for every tribe, and for every tongue. The gospel therefore goes global at this point. From the temple in Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You can hear Wesley's hymn here again. Joy to those who long to see thee. Day spring from on high appear. Come, thou promised rod of Jesse, of thy birth we long to hear. O'er the hills, the angels singing, news, glad tidings of a birth. Go to him, your praises bringing. Christ the Lord has come to earth. Have you gone to him? Have you seen him? Have you heard the gospel, the good news, the glad tidings? Have you placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? So your longing is now met, your sins forgiven. We can learn a lot from Simeon. He knew the promises of God and the revelation of God and waited patiently for Him. It's what it means for every believer. It means waiting for God to do what He has promised and then occupying our time as we wait as He's instructed us. The final stanza of this passage, Mary and Joseph marvel. Simeon has just blessed their child before them and has a blessing for them as well to which they had to contemplate. But then with that comes sorrow, suffering. The gospel is the good news, but the gospel also divides. 
Simeon says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The gospel goes forth. The witness of believers to a lost world around them. It'll be a stumbling block for some, and it'll be a glorious salvation for others. The falling and the rising. That idea of rising there is resurrection. Same word. But with this rising and falling, this division that happens, it also points forward to the cross. He tells Mary that a sword will pierce through her own soul. None of this is possible. No longing, no anticipation, no hope without the cross. We have to have the cross. Jesus had to be crucified. Jesus had to be buried. He had to be resurrected and ascended into heaven. And He accomplished all of that. Again, Wesley's words ring true. Born thy people to deliver. Born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thy own internal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thy all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Do you long for that? Do you anticipate Christ coming again? So what do we make of all of this? Where do we go with all of this? Well, Advent is here for us to look back and to look forward. It is like the table here. We look back to what Christ accomplished on our behalf and we look forward to Him coming again. We should rejoice, praise that the long-expected Jesus has come, has accomplished redemption for us, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father in whom we can trust and whom we look for yet again with waiting watchful eye, longing, desire. But we don't wait twiddling our thumbs. We are to be working while we're waiting. Yes, we watch and wait, but we wait while we work. That's the instruction that Haggai gave to Israel in the Old Testament. Build this temple. Build it up. It's going to bring forth the glory of the Lord. We are to be building with God through His Word, through witness to people that His kingdom may come to fruition, that the church may be glorified through many coming from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That is our plan. That is God's plan. It's a glorious plan. It reminds us of a glorious Savior. And it reminds us of who we once were and who we now are. As you gather this Advent season in your homes, contemplate the coming of our long-expected Jesus. Look to Him. Learn from Him. And then have longing expectation and desire for His soon return. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let us pray.
Father in heaven, we do thank you for this word this morning, for being able to see the inspiration of your word put to song through Charles Wesley. Father, we do pray that we would come to look to Jesus with longing expectation. He has been and he will come again. Even so, come quickly. Amen.